0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: Today's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You may refer to your Bibles or to the screen above. And there are also hard-copy Bibles that are lying around, so please feel free to use them. we would like to invite Sister Hui Li to read the scriptures to us today.
0: 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through which you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder And someone else is building on it but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is jesus christ if anyone builds on this foundation using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be reviewed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul, Oropolis, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here today. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come to your word, the book of 1 Corinthians again, we just pray that you'll help us to learn what it means to be living by the Spirit, to be walking in Christ. And pray for our hearts to be open, to be instructed by you through your word. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I went to uh, dinner once before, and I sat next to this guy, and he told me he was going out after the dinner. So the dinner ended quite late. And I said, are you still going out? He said, yeah. And I said, where are you going to? He said, oh, I'm going to uh, a nightclub. And I said, why? He said, because oh, tonight is air stewardess drink for free night. And so I'm going to the nightclub to meet air stewardesses. Now this same person I also know uh, likes to read comics and uh, collect comics. And also this person, has, uh, has, uh, likes to eat uh, oily fast food. Now, how old do you think this person is? you think this person who's sitting next to me is in their 20s? Maybe in their 30s? Well, actually, this person is actually in their 40s, right? And so you can sort of uh, imagine that I was a bit surprised sitting next to him that he still seems to be uh, acting quite differently from what his real chronological age is. kind of begs the question, can we choose not to grow up? Is it unusual or wrong, like this guy sitting next to me, to choose to continue to act, I suppose, like a 20-year-old when actually he's like in his uh, 40s already with uh, bright, you know, white hair? And that's today's t- topic, right? Today's situation. And that can be us But not physically, but spiritually. We can be Christians, but we choose not to grow up. That's actually a problem according to today's passage. Now, context is really important as we look at today's passage. Today's passage comes straight after what we studied last week. What we studied last week at the end of the chapter was how the Spirit was with Paul, right? What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. For who has known the mind of God, so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, today I want to introduce you to a very important concept in the English language, which is pronouns. Okay, so pronouns. Pronouns are things which describe the subject or the object. And so last week, it was all about the we's and the us, right? And so last week, Paul was really specifically referring to himself and Apollos, his fellow teacher. And so the we here refers to Paul and Apollos who've received the Spirit who is from God. But I want you to notice that this week as we come to chapter 3, the pronouns change, right? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ. I want you to notice the pronoun here. It changes from the we and the us to the you. And Paul says that he cannot refer to you, as in the Corinthian Christians, as brothers, as, as people who live by the Spirit, who are spiritual. Now, we need to kind of be clear here because it's a bit confusing, right? Paul still regards them as Christians because he refers to them as brothers and sisters. And, he, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're Christians. But there's something fundamentally wrong with them fundamentally wrong with the church and the Christians in Corinth because they do not live by the Spirit. They are still worldly. And so he refers to them as mere infants in Christ. And here we see that there's a fundamental problem with the Corinthian Christians. They are not growing up as they should be in their faith. They're not growing up as Christians. They're not mature in their faith. We see in this passage that Paul goes on to say that they are mere infants in Christ because of their behavior, their living, right? I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but who are still worldly. In verse 3, are you not acting like mere humans? But when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos." are you not being mere human beings? So the problem with the maturity of these Christians is not in Knowledge, head knowledge, but in actions, in being, in living, in walking, as the original language would say. We can see from this passage that Paul has a mood of frustration. Right? Are you not still worldly? I could not give you solid food for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. He treats the situation like uh, if you have a teenager at home, and the teenager only drinks milk from the milk bottle, and he's unable to eat solid food. Now, this is a problem, and he evidences it because of the problem that we've seen all the way back in chapter 1, because there is still jealousy and quarreling among you because of their loyalty, their allegiance to worldly human teachers like Paul and Apollos. So the first thing that we learn in this first section is that the division And the allegiance that they have to these human leaders like Paul or Apollos is actually coming from not living by the Spirit. They're not growing up in their faith. And this was evidenced in the original Corinthian church by their their unhealthy allegiance to spiritual leaders. I think this is actually relevant for us as well today because, as uh, evangelical Christians, that's what we call ourselves evangelical Christians. Sometimes we get the wrong idea that growing or maturing in Christ is all about Bible knowledge, right? Bible information, as long as I can give the right answer in the Bible study, then I'm growing in my spiritual maturity, I'm growing in the faith. But that's not what this passage is saying. The inability or the unwillingness to live, to walk, to act, and to be, acting like in a Christian way, is actually a mark of spiritual immaturity. So the measure is not just Bible knowledge or head knowledge, but action, living, walking, and being. Now I think of uh, our own children, or actually this is more for the second service because not, you're not here today, right? But for the youth and our children who are in our children and youth ministry. Because I think one of the problems is, you know, if you go through youth and uh, children's ministry, you get good Bible knowledge and you can answer all the questions perfectly. But the sign of Christian maturity is not being able to answer, but to be able to put into practice what that knowledge means, to live, to walk, to be, and to act, living by the Spirit. So I remember uh, my old pastor in Australia, Joshua Ng, used to say that there used to be students who used to come from all over the world to study in UNSW, in Sydney, in the university there, and they would come from churches, perhaps their parents would be leaders in the church, but they they would have all the right answers in Bible study, but they were not mature. Because as they came to Australia, you could see that they were not living by the Spirit, they were not behaving as Christians. They only had head knowledge, but no behavior. So this is a question for us, isn't it? The question for us is, are we mere infants in Christ, because we're not living by the Spirit, we're living by the world and its values? Do we need to grow up to live by the Spirit, to be, to act and to walk in Christ. Paul goes on to ask this question in verse 5. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? And so he he wants the Corinthian Christians to ponder and reflect upon this really important question, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? These leaders that you pledge allegiance to and pit against one another. Paul's answer is only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. This word here, servants, is a very important word. Right? What does he mean by servants? And what does he mean only servants? So if you remember in the responsive reading that we had at the beginning, which was the, the turning the water into wine at uh, Cana, the first miracle recorded in the book of John for us, the word here, servants, is actually the same word that we see in the book 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so we see here like that domestic servants, right? They're, his mother tells the servants to listen to Jesus. Then Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars of water. And then the servants then bring out the, the wine to the wedding guests. And so Paul is literally saying, why do you give allegiance to servants? Right? In, in, in Paul's world, Uh, it was very hierarchical, right? You know, servants had this place in society, but yet you are elevating them to gurus, right? Mini-gods in which you pledge loyalty and allegiance against one another. So why do you do that? Because Paul and Apollos, they're merely servants, it says. They're the ones who, like in the past, just fill the jars with water and carry the wine to the guests. Paul also goes on to say, look, They're only servants, each with a role, right? So Paul planted the seed in verse 6. He was the one who first came to Corinth and was their missionary to them. He planted the seed. After he left, Apollos remained and watered it and and helped grow what Paul had already planted. But God is the one who makes things grow. Neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, here in this agricultural imagery, It's true, isn't it? The one who has all these roles is really unimportant. The one who makes things grow is what counts. And so again, the question is, why do you put all this allegiance to the leader when the one who makes things grow is God and God alone? In verse 8, he goes on to say, "'The one who plants and the one who waters has one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor.'" For we are co-workers in God's service, your God's field. And so he says here, look, each of them have a particular role, each servant, the one who plants, like Paul, the one who waters, but they all have a common master in Jesus. They are all working together for one purpose, and they will be rewarded by the master. Now, this is important, right? This idea where they are all one in one team. Working towards one purpose with one master. It's like, you know, that, uh, that phrase that uh, I-, I was always told, you know, there is no I in team. Okay, you know, team is, we work together, there's no I in team. And so, if you notice recently, I've been having more EPL uh, illustrations. It's, I-, I blame it because somebody convinced me to subscribe to watch it, right? But so, if you think of all the major football teams, right? Okay, so... So I I apologize, I always put Arsenal first. Okay, so there's Arsenal there, then there's Liverpool, Manchester United. Someone actually asked me to to take out the Manchester United pictures. I don't know why. But right, so you think of all the different teams, right? They are all made up of 11 individuals, or the squads are much bigger, but they're all different roles, okay? So this is the Man City role. Man City, first team, okay? Now, the goalkeeper, Edison, his job is to save the ball from going into... The net, right? His role is not to go to the front and replace Harlan, who's a striker, to score goals. And neither is it Harlan's job to go back to the goal, to save the goals. His job is to remain at the front. In the same way, the right back doesn't go to the left side wing to cross balls into the middle, right? They each have their role and they each fulfill their roles together and will be rewarded for filling their roles, in order to achieve the common objective to win the game and ultimately to be top of the league when the league ends, right? And that's what Paul is saying. They are all one team, right? Paul is the planter. Apollos is the waterer. So why do you elevate one above the other? Because they belong in the sense to the same club, the same team. They have the same goal, the same leader, Jesus Christ. So this is very important, right? There should be no division within the church because it's not living by the Spirit. There should be no division within their church because Paul and Apollos, they're merely servants working to Christ's common purpose. Now I was reading this book uh, not too long ago, which I just kind of randomly picked up. It's about churches partnering together. And one of the sad things in the book that he notices is that churches often don't partner together, not because of biblical reasons, because of theological reasons or gospel reasons but because of human reasons they want to protect their turf they're very possessive but their ministries there's rivalry and jealousy between church workers but this is where Paul's word is really important God's word through Paul that all of God's teachers and leaders and they're all servants of Christ with one purpose one team one goal right And so it's absurd to have jealousy and quarreling between leaders and between churches because there's one Lord Jesus who is our master, there's one team, one goal, and one purpose, although different people play different roles. Now Paul goes on in this section, he says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care but if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though it's one escaping through the flames. Now again, we see here there's a change in the imagery, in the metaphor, in the illustration. We go from the field to the construction site, the building. But that's not the only thing that's changed, right? From the field to the construction site. Again, the pronouns have changed. Here he talks about the third-person pronouns, right? Indefinite pronouns, they call them. Each one, no one, anyone, each person, one. So I think the you can see that uh, the, what he has in view has actually changed, I think, in my opinion. It says here that the any ones I think, are people who need to build with care. So I think he's changed the, the topic here from himself and Apollos to teachers and builders and leaders within the Corinthian church. You can see that in the mood. In the previous illustration with the agriculture, he says that he and Apollos have different roles, their co-workers, and they'll be rewarded for their labor. But here in the verse 10 onwards, in this imagery with the construction site, with the building, there's a note of warning. It's a warning uh, mood now, warning tone. Because he warns them that each person needs to build with care, with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Because there's a day that's coming where the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now I don't think that Paul is referring to himself, right? Because he referred to himself earlier as the one who is the one who lays the foundation. So what is Paul really talking about here? So I think in the first section, when he talks about the field, he's talking about himself, Paul and Apollos, who served as co-workers of Christ who will receive a reward. But here in this section, he's talking about the dems, right? The third person, indefinite pronouns. The builders, the leaders, and the teachers who will be tested. So I think it's easier to see it visually. So Paul has built a foundation for the Corinthian church. That foundation that he built is the foundation of the crucified Jesus Christ and the cross. That's what he preached. That's the seed that he planted. But he's now left the Corinthian church and the other people, teachers and leaders, who are teaching and building the church in his absence. And he says to them, look, there are two types of material that you can build with. You can build with gold, silver, costly stones, and you can build with wood, hay, and straw." Now, the distinction between these two groups of materials is not because one is more expensive than the other or one is nicer than the other, but there is a natural distinction which Paul brings up, which is there are survivability in fire, survivability at the time of testing, survivability when Jesus comes. Because when the day comes when Jesus returns, the fire of judgment will come and it will test the material which the different builders have built with. And so obviously, the gold, silver, and costly stones, they will survive, but what is made of wood, hay, and straw will be burnt up. Now the question that we really need to be asking then is, what is Paul talking about? Right, we can understand conceptually that wood, hay, and straw, they get burnt up by fire because they're flammable, but gold, silver, and uh, costly stones, they go, don't get burnt up, right? But what does he have in mind? What do the images correspond to? Well, I think the context would suggest that the gold, silver, and stones must correspond to the church, which is built on God's wisdom, living by the Spirit, having the mind of Christ. But the wood, hay, and straw must correspond to the world, right? To the human wisdom. And I think, from what we've seen, that makes sense, right? Because when fire comes, when the day of testing comes, when the day of judgment comes, if Jesus returns, what is built on the world's values, on human wisdom, will be burnt up and will be destroyed. Now, how is this relevant, then, to the Church of Corinth? Well, I think the Church of Corinth, as we can see from chapter 1 to chapter 2, has been very influenced by the world. And part of the world that they lived in, as we saw in chapter 1, was the eloquence, the wisdom of the Greek philosophical mind, right? The Sophia of the day. It was very impressed by the rhetoric and the oratory and the public speaking of their arenas. Very impressed as well by the religious teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. What Paul is saying It's that if you build up the church on the foundation that I've given you on Jesus based on the wisdom of the Greek philosophic thinking, the oratory of human persuasiveness and techniques of the the arenas, or the religion of the scribes as well as the Pharisees, then it will all be burnt up when Jesus comes. We can see this as well in what follows in verse 18 to 20 when Paul says let no one deceive himself if anyone thinks he is wise in this age let him become a fool because so he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is folly with God for it is written he catches the wise in their craftiness and again the lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile see this is so important for us today because even today our churches in an effort to grow or become bigger or to attract more people can be tempted to go back to human wisdom and the way of the world. Right? I know that uh, the Alpha Course is a very, very popular evangelistic course. And I like the Alpha Course for various reasons, but there is a flaw and a weakness to the Alpha Course. its major flaw is the way that it defines sin. Right, Sin in the Alpha Course is defined as a mess we make in our own lives or the rubbish that clutters up our lives or the pollution of our souls. Now, this is, uh, I think, a watered-down version which is intended to soften and make less offensive this idea of sin, right? I mean, if sin is just a mess of your life and it's rubbish that clutters up your own life and it's a pollution of your soul, then obviously we don't like rubbish and pollution in ourselves. We always want to get rid of it. But the biblical understanding of sin is so much harsher and so much more on your face. Sin in the Bible is total depravity, the complete inability to do anything right before God or to keep God's law. It is offensive to God personally and it's a rebellion against God's holiness. And therefore, judgment must mean that God is rightly angry with us, His His wrath remains on us, and we deserve his judgment. You can see the danger then that if you truly have the wrong understanding of sin and judgment, then on the day that Jesus returns will you be actually burnt up by the fire of God's judgment, right? But it's not just the danger of the understanding of sin and the alpha cause. There are many churches which want to attract people by catering to their felt needs of prosperity, of wealth, of health, of community, entertainment, the attraction of music, of celebrity speakers. This is a great danger because whenever you turn back to worldly values or human wisdom, then you may actually be the wood or hay or straw which will not survive the fire of Jesus' return. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Again, seems to change the image, right, from the building to the temple. Now, the temple are the Christians themselves form the temple of God, right? You yourselves, you together, God dwells in your midst. So what Paul has in mind here, what God has in mind is the church in Corinth, they are the temple of God. Now look at how the church in Corinth is described as God's temple. God's spirit dwells among them. The temple belongs to God. The temple is sacred, right? It says there, All these things here show us how valuable the church is. That it's actually God's temple. It belongs to God. God dwells among our midst. We are sacred. And So what Paul is saying is, in their fracturing and divisions and quarreling within the church, what they're doing is they're actually fracturing the temple of God. And essentially, they are destroying the temple of God because of their human understanding, the human wisdom in which has led to this division. But look at what God says. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is sacred and you together corporately are that temple. And that's so serious, right? Because if we divide and break up our church based on human wisdom, on human values, then Actually, we're destroying God's temple and God will destroy that person. I remember in the past, there was this pastor who came to speak to me and he was talking about this elder in another church. This is a long time ago, so it's not present, right? Who destroyed his church. And this uh, pastor was very hurt, very broken by the experience. And actually, this church had gone through many different pastors, right? But this elder in this other church had always run off the pastors, and the church was divided among different lines, not based on the Bible, but because of human personality and ungodliness. Now, what a dangerous situation this elder is in, even though he may not have realized it. Because what God says here is the temple, the church, corporately, is God's living among us, and the temple itself is sacred. So, if we divide and destroy God's church, then God destroys that person. So for us, it's a good reminder, right, what it says here, that division, which comes from human values and human wisdom, is actually very hurtful to God and God will destroy as a result. Now the last verse of this section then leads to the conclusion, right? So then no more boasting about human leaders, right? No more boasting about human leaders because you live by the Spirit. They're all servants. They all have to build together and work to a common purpose. If you destroy because of human leaders, then God will destroy you. But he ends in a very strange way. He could easily just end and say, no more boasting about human leaders and then move on to chapter 4. But he said instead he says this all things are yours whether paul or policy first or the world or life or death or the present or the future all are yours you are of christ and christ is of god again pronouns, right all things are yours so they belong to the christians in corinth but what does he mean all all things are yours well, firstly, he refers to Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. So these are the main people they were following, right? Remember, I follow Paul, Apollo, Apollos, Apollos, Cephas in the chapter 1. But he actually turns this idea on his head and said, look, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, they are—they belong to you, right? They they don't have power over you. They don't sit over you. But actually, they belong to you. They are servants in Christ, right? Together. But he goes on to say something even more interesting. The world, the life, death, and the present and future, they are also yours. They also belong to you. So what does Paul mean by this? I think he's speaking about all the worldly values, right? The world itself, the the wisdom of this world, the the persuasiveness of the oratory, the... the influence of the religious leaders, uh, as we will see later in different chapters, the things like riches, power, status, all these things which, in a sense, the Christians in Corinth gave allegiance to and placed up high in status, all these things actually belong to you. But not just the world and all these things which you think have status belong to you, but life and death as well as the present or the future, all these things which, in a sense, have tyranny over us and authority and power over us, they all belong to us. And they belong to us because you are of Christ, and Christ of God is of God, right? Because Christ has overcome all these things, and because you are of Christ and Christ is of God, then there is no tyranny or power. Or status, which is above you as a Christian. So, if that's the case, then why do you give these things power over you, right? If all are yours in Christ. Then why do you go back to the wisdom of this age? Why do you go back to these worldly values? Now, in conclusion, I actually um, know of this uh, person or this family that uh, live in Australia, and quite sad because uh, they are really, really rich, and they have this huge bungalow. But the father who lives with them still lives as if he was really poor. So this uh, father uh, would actually go out and go to all these public toilets and steal the toilet paper and bring it home, right? So like almost every day, he's bringing stolen toilet paper home. So that when you go home, right, go to this beautiful house, like in Father's room in his cupboard It's just it's just full of toilet paper. Like anything he can, you know, like anything he it's not screwed down, he will steal. He dresses in the cheapest clothes he can buy. And he hangs around the food court uh, to eat the cheapest food. In fact, um the family told me that the food court operators in Australia think he's homeless and give him free food. All right? Even though, and now he comes back, he lives in this beautiful house. And it's a really sad, sad, pathetic situation. Because this father really has it all, right? He has a loving family, a big house, all the money in the world he could hope for, but he's living in this past where he thinks he has no money. That can be like us as Christians, right? We have it all in Christ. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. Because we belong to Christ and belong to God, all Is ours, right? The world, Uh, the the past, the present, life and death, even the Christian teachers. But yet, there's a temptation to go back to the world, to go back to human wisdom, to let these things have tyranny and power over us. But Paul says, no, right? We need to continue to live in the present of what we have. We have all these things as we remain in Christ. So we need to continue in God's wisdom. Continue to live by the Spirit, to continue to have the mind of Christ, and not go back to what we used to have before. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly ask that you may help us to take to heart what your Word says—that we need to grow up, to grow up in Christ, to live by the Spirit, and not to be a mere infants anymore. To see that the church needs to be built up by your servants and they serve the church and they are not uh, to have tyranny over us. To see that they serve a common purpose and they have one master and Jesus. And the church needs to be built up with material which will not be burnt up when Jesus returns. To be built up on the mind of Christ. To be built up in living by the Spirit. To be built up on your wisdom and not the world. Dear Father, help us to be reminded that all is ours, whether it is teachers, whether it is the world, whether it is life and death, whether it is the present or the future. As long as we remain in Christ, truly, the world and all that appeals to the things of this world have no power over us. So we pray that we will not go back to human wisdom, we will not go back to the flesh, we will not go back to the world but instead always remain in Jesus. We pray for all these things and in Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright everyone, we'll now have a short time for discussion. So please discuss what you've taken away from the sermon with those around you or you can also refer to the guiding reflection questions here. Okay, we'll come back in five minutes.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online busypc.sg